Welcome to The Coaching Question. This is the podcast for people who want to know more about coaching, how and when to use it, and really, what is it all about? Join me, Sarah Turner, and my colleague, Gregor Finley, two executive coaches for an honest conversation. In today's episode, we ask the question, why bother with mindset in coaching? Yeah, because I just managed to have a conversation with a fellow coach, a chap called Charlie Varsosky. Uh He specialises, he really specialises in mindset. It was a great conversation. Charlie's a lovely bloke. I'm really interested, so you've just listened to it. What stood out for you? Yeah, I actually loved this. I'm, I'm probably going to listen to it at least two or three more times because I think Charlie's really engaging. He shares some really fabulous stories and some research. And obviously, Carol Dweck, as you both mentioned, is kind of the key leader in this space. Uh, but Charlie really knows his stuff. And one of the things I think that stood out for me, but almost maybe a bit emotional really, was his point that he made, which I knew, but he made this point about how important it is not to just praise, and particularly talking about working with children. So he made this point about effort that the child puts in versus saying, oh, well done, aren't you clever? And he was making this point that, you know, just one throwaway comment can actually transform the way someone sees themselves. And this this actually made me quite emotional because my daughter is dyslexic, so she struggles at school and often will say to me, I can't do it, mummy. And so I work very hard to kind of encourage her and, and build that self-belief. And Gregor, you shared a story on the podcast as well about when you were a small boy thinking that you weren't a maths person. And that really resonated for me as well, because I actually struggled at school with maths and I'm now a psychologist. So, you know, if only somebody had come along, if Charlie could have come along and told me, don't worry, Sarah, your brain has something called new is neuroplastic. So neuroplasticity, which is about your brain having that flexibility and the ability to grow and to learn. So, yeah, so I, I think it's a really, really powerful podcast and a really interesting subject. Yeah. And even if you know about, I mean, I've, I've read Carol Dweck's book, I'm really interested in mindset. And a lot of the references are about children. Even if you know about mindset, it's really interesting to hear Charlie talking about how he works with coaches yeah. using the learnings from mindset. Mm. And then you know, how you can take those and how he helps coaches identify mindset issues with their clients Yeah, and what we can do. So even if you're not a coach and you're listening to this, you're a leader, you'll pick up on things about how you can pick up mindset in your language and the language of your people, etc. So I could quite easily do another one with Charlie. Um, we yeah. could, um, I could talk about mindset more. I'd, like I say in the podcast, I do believe that Carol Dweck should get a Nobel Prize for this work. Yeah, the way she has described it, 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 it is so accessible. But your point there about you know whether you're a leader, whether you're an HR professional, whether you're just interested in your own personal development, whether you're a coach, I think this is a good podcast to be listening to. Yeah, and I think coaches often talk about limiting beliefs. Mm -hmm. And that's what Charlie says. It's about the belief of about yourself. Yeah. And a lot of our work is identifying those limiting beliefs. But quite a lot of those are down to mindset. Mm. And just even if you're the most hard nose anti, you know, if you really don't like the thought of meditation or anything else. There's real science behind this. Yeah. And what I liked, he gave an example of Two groups, the only difference between the two groups was one 50-minute lesson. I think it was yeah. about neuroplasticity. Yeah. And that one 50-minute lesson 
made all the difference. Yeah. Uh, and it goes back to your thing, just what you know, just one interaction can really change someone's life. It doesn't have to be fifty minutes. So it can be it can be one minute. Just that one throwaway comment. Yeah. So it's and powerful I, stuff. Yeah. And it's it's fascinating. Um my wife is dyslexic and uh, suffers a bit from dyscalculia. And I found that just a little bit of patience and understanding mindset I've been able to teach her things relatively quickly that the school could never teach her yeah. because they didn't take the time and they didn't have the knowledge of a mindset to do yeah. that. Yeah. So I really hope people enjoy this episode. Check out Charlie and his work. Absolutely. We're going to put in the show notes, we'll put in uh, details about Charlie's business, uh, which is called Love Your Coaching. So listen and enjoy. I'm really happy to be joined by Charlie Warshawski. Charlie is not only a great guy, he is a coach who's chosen to focus strongly on mindset in his coaching. So he's a perfect person to come on to this episode about mindset. He came across this approach when working in education and he's worked with hundreds of schools, supporting them to use this great idea in a practical way in the classroom. He's delivered a conference with Carol Dweck, who really is the founder of the, the mindset thing as far as I'm concerned. And he trains coaches to listen for mindset clues in their coaching. So I'm really looking forward to this. So the overall question, Charlie, is you know, why should we be bothered about mindset in, in coaching? But I think for our audience, it might be a good idea if you could maybe outline what mindset is. Absolutely. Okay, well, 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 I'll take your first question first. Why be bothered about mindset? There are so many ways that we can learn about people and what makes them tick and what makes them grow, but also what limits them from growing. And we know that in coaching, we are faced with another person who is really trying to strive forward. They may have obstacles in front of them, but they, they often really want to grow, develop, learn. And what mindset work does so well is it, it simplifies and it helps people to see what's in the way and particularly what they can do to change what's in the way from an internal perspective. So we all know so much language about limiting beliefs and inner critic and imposter syndrome and the chimp and all that type of stuff. Well, those things are all very good. And actually, when you when you look at what mindset theory says, is it all comes down to one thing. It comes down to someone's belief about themselves and their ability to be able to be or do something different. So that's why as coaches, we bother with it because we want people to be able to grow and flourish and know what the obstacle. So it's a really good question. And, and I know you, you mentioned it to me last week and I've, it's been bubbling away in my head quite a lot. So thank you for stimulating that one. On this question about what it is, um, and you're right, Carol Dweck is the person who originated it. It's really three things. It's, it's a theory of motivation. It's a theory of intelligence, but it mostly it's a theory about belief. Um, and where it comes from, if I can indulge a little story, Carol Dweck, when she was in the fifth grade, 10 years old, had a teacher, Mrs. Wilson, who would sit their classes in IQ order. So imagine that, Carol and her friends, all the acolytes sitting right at the front, shiny faces ready to answer all the questions, and then a load of boys and girls right at the back with a low IQ swinging their chairs. You can imagine what that classroom could have been like. And Carol says, I know those kids. You know, I knew those kids. 
could work. I knew those kids could learn, but they were sent to the back. And this was a dominating theme for all of her professional life. And she was desperate to find out what it is that makes some people believe they're great learners and other people believe that they're not. And generally, it has got very, very, very little to do with intelligence. It's about their belief, whether they can change their intelligence and not just their intelligence, Gregor, you know, whether they can change their willpower, their motivation, their artistic or linguistic skills. If you believe you can change, you're more likely to have a growth mindset. If you believe that actually what you were born with is what you're stuck with, you're more likely to have a fixed mindset. And that has dreadful impacts, I think, on many people's lives. So that's a little overview about what mindset theory is. As I get it, I mean, it really is about a set of attitudes that you have that comes from, you know, a, a lot of it, I think, comes from your teachers and your parents. And it's about this thing about whether or not somebody, because she defines, doesn't she, there's a growth mindset, which says that I believe I can change through effort and application. And a fixed mindset says oh, well, I failed. That's it. I'm no good at this. I don't have a math brain, so I'm no good at maths. Whereas somebody with a growth mindset will keep on working at it or be encouraged to have worked at it by their parents. And I think we see that all around us. Absolutely. And and those messages, and they may well have been embedded by parents and teachers, but also I think we can worry less about where they came from, just know that they are there. Because what we want to do is we want to remove that inner voice. What we know and what you know from your great TA work, Gregor, is a that the inner voice gets so deeply embedded that it's quite hard to unpick it. But actually, that idea of we believe that it's worth making an effort, that we believe that a rejection is feedback rather than failure, that we are up for challenge. You know, we, we gleefully rub our hands when we find out that something is tough. I mean, it's, it's brilliant, brilliant work. And what I really love about it is unlike so much that we see, it's not just empirical, it's based on solid research. You know, she's written paper after paper. She's done so many reviews and so much research that goes from nine-month-old children to people your age and my age and even older. And the research tends to be around something like give someone an activity and then either provoke an attitude to that activity that lets them embed a fixed or a growth mindset. So as a great example, giving two sets of adults or kids a some activities to do and then one group say you did that really well you're really clever and then give another group a bit of feedback that says you did that really well you clearly made a lot of effort and then track them as they do a a next set of activities and a next set of activities and they find that consistently that one line can really bolster those who've been told that they made effort and they will go on to achieve more and they will go on to take on tougher tasks Whereas a group that we've told that they're really clever, they will stop trying. They'll refuse to take on the tougher tasks. They, If they have to repeat the same task, they do worse. And they often lie about the results that they got to other people. So just one throwaway line can transform someone's mindset. And it is amazing stuff. I mean, I truly believe that every single parent in the world should have to read mindset. Mm. I think it's such a fundamental thing and one day maybe she'll win a a Nobel Prize because I do think it's really fundamental. One of the um, questions that really you sent me a list of questions and and I thought they're they're really interesting. The one that leapt out for me is do we just have a fixed or a growth mindset and that's it? 
It's, you know, and it's funny because this is where Carol has her growth mindset because that's what she used to say, you know. In, in her research in the 90s and the early 2000s, she wrote about this sort of duality approach, that idea of we've got one or we've got the other. But that in itself is fixed mindset labeling. And she was really brave by saying, do you know what? Actually, it's not true. The fact of the matter is we're all on a continuum here. We will have some areas where we have a really strong growth mindset. So for me, things like coaching, things like learning languages, I'm strong and I feel confident and failure doesn't faze me in those areas. On the other set, I've got areas that I've got a really fixed mindset. I'm married to an art teacher and I can't draw for toffee and my children laugh when I have an attempt. Could I change that? It's possible. I've tried. It seems really hard. I definitely, part of me thinks, well, I'm a left-hander. I'll never be able to get this. It's too complicated. I'm a bit clumsy and so on. So I am operating with some fixed mindsets in some areas and some growth mindset in other areas. And it can be situational. You can have a really strong growth mindset about something, but then hit a bump in the road, hit an obstacle let your monkey mind come back in. You know, you, you, you're waiting for a proposal to come back or you're waiting for some positive feedback from a coaching client and it doesn't come and you start to think, oh, 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 am I actually not that good? Or should I start worrying? Should I start wobbling? We don't operate out of one sphere. Saying that I have a growth mindset is like saying I'm the finished article. And please point me, Gregor, to someone who is the finished article. I'd love to meet him. Yeah, I think one of the things I discovered reading the book is just looking back and finding out, oh, yeah, I have a really great growth mindset in this area, and I've got a terrible fixed mindset in this area. I mean, I, I for years, I used to sit next to a chap in school, and to me, he just had a math brain. Yeah. It was just obvious to him. In fact, he couldn't explain to me how he did things because it was so obvious. I needed to be sitting next to somebody who struggled and could explain to me, you know, and so I, I'm sure with more work, I would have been able to do it. Yeah. But I just got this belief set, oh, well, I just don't have a math brain. So I stopped trying to improve in math. Uh, that's, so, that's, you know, and that's so interesting. And actually, one of the things, one of the arguments for putting kids in set, you know, ability grouping, as they call it in schools, is that idea that people like you or like me who sit next to someone who does better than them at a subject will be crushed by that. And we shouldn't have to be crushed by that. You know, we should, if, because if you were getting this message that says, do you know what, you mate Jamie, he's really solid at maths at the moment because he's got the strategies and he's got the techniques. You can learn those strategies and techniques. And there's some really interesting research that Carol and others did. Uh, they took some year seven, so early secondary school students in the States, two groups. One group got lots of maths catch-up type of skills training. The other group got exactly the same maths training, but they got one 50-minute lesson about the fact that the brain grows and shapes. One 50-minute lesson. And that one 50-minute lesson allowed that group to have a turnaround. So if you'd have been in that group, if she'd have turned up at your school, you would have learned that it's not because he has got innate ability. Yes, he might have more tendencies, but you've got an equal chance of growing your non-existent, what, what is not true, growing your math brain, growing your ability to work really well in math. So we can turn around and we can give those strong messages to our children. That chart in the book is an amazing chart because it's a big hockey stick, yeah. you know, in terms of how people uh, improve again. And it was that chart, that experiment that really said to me, wow, this is amazing. I sort of want to ask this question a couple of ways because our 
audience, I mean, the reason we did the Coaching Question podcast is we want to help people who are not only coaches, but people who want to use coaching in organizations. And and the, the question here is, what could coaches be listening for in our coaching sessions? But I'm also thinking, what could HRBPs be listening for? What could leaders who you have a coaching mindset be listening for in terms of you know, their people, and we'll get onto the talent question in a minute. But yeah, so what should we as coaches be listening for? But also what maybe should HRBPs be listening for? Okay, so these are really good questions. And I think it it, it draws in here the the duality of the whole thing. Like do Are we trying to listen for a fixed mindset and then change it? Or are we trying to listen for a growth mindset and then nurture it and encourage it to flourish? And I think that... In coaching, we're more likely to focus on the first if we can hear it. And for HRBPs, I would encourage to focus on the second more. Um, often, the growth mindset is visible, but it's quite latent. You know, it's quite buried. If And people often stand back to say, well, yeah, well, I'm not bad, but he's better or she's better. So we often have that type of thing going on. In a coaching environment, I think when we start hearing, I can't do it, I'm not good enough, those type of things, I think lots of coaches are really good at that. They're really good at hearing that whole, when people say, well, I'll never be able to, and and you raise an eyebrow and say never, and challenge in that way. But I think it's more than that. I think that in coaching, we can get trapped into this into this sort of fixed mindset tunnel of responding to their immediate need rather than shifting it. So I'll give you an example of it. Someone says, I'm really struggling at work. I find that getting positive feedback from my boss is really useful. But actually what happens is my boss is not very good at that type of stuff. You know, they don't come forward. They don't give me praise when I do a good job. They just give me sense here when I don't. As diligent coaches, we get stuck in and we say, so so, so, how could you do that? How could you approach that differently? How could you maybe organize a meeting? How can you let your boss know that you really value and welcome his, his valuable input? And I want to say, no, don't do that. Uh, I, I want to say, ask your coachee, why do you need this person's feedback? You know, what is it about them? What is it about you that stops you saying, I'm good enough. I've got this job. No one sacked me, right? Uh, I need to stop worrying and over-worrying about people's opinions. And I'm, I'm not talking about toxic environments, right? I'm talking about people getting trapped in that belief that they need affirmation from someone else in order to make them feel whole. You know, we all do it a bit, but actually I think it's when people are trapped by it. It's our job as coaches to help them move away from that. That's a really, really good distinction. You know, you, you come across clients who, you know, some people have a greater need for recognition. Some people are more externally referenced. They, you know, when you say, how do you know you've done a good job? It's because they've got feedback from other people yeah. rather than knowing something in, internally. And I think you're right. If you're working with mindset, you're going to shift to mindset. It's funny because I've used a, a reframe there for me. It says, well, actually, you can be grateful to them because they're helping you practice for when you get more senior. Yes. Because <laughs> when you get more senior, you're not going to get any recognition yeah. or praise or you're very unlikely to. So you're going to have to figure it out for yourself. I hadn't really thought about that, that that's a mindset thing. Well, I think that, I mean, the idea that we never, ever, ever need any feedback ever, I think that that's a bit of a myth as well. And Carol's spoken about this. She said, could you imagine, you know, she gives a keynote speech. 
600 people, 1,000 people there, whatever. If at the end of that keynote speech of an hour when she'd explained all of her theory, that because everyone knew that she had a growth mindset so didn't need any appreciation, no one gave her a round of applause and she just walked off to silence. Tell me that even the great Carol Dweck wouldn't be affected by that, wouldn't think, oh, did I do something wrong here? You know. So I think as human beings, we all need something, don't we? we we're not, we're not yeah, completely separated from our environments, but it's when it's excessive. Yeah, it's it's it. Well, it's a dependency on it, isn't it? It's that whole absolutely. I I need it. I so need it. So one of the things that that I'm trying to remember the article now. I think it was McKinsey, the great talent, the talent code, or it was something about that we don't have enough talent in businesses to you know support growth, etc. And then so what came into business was this language of talent. You know, this is talent pool. They've been recognized as talent. They are a talented individual. And when you're working with mindset, then identifying somebody as, well, they're just talented at that, it sort of indicates a fixed mindset because it's not about the effort. It's about their innate, you know, ability. Yes. So I wonder if you could maybe speak to that innate versus, you know, it's the nature nurture thing, but I, I think talent's a dangerous word to use. You know, and it's my second most detested world, I think, in this world. And the, the first one is potential. That idea and these these parallel ideas that people have got a way of being defined that is almost preordained and predest- predestined. And I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. It starts really early. So we had for many years in the UK education system something called gifted and talented program where students would be selected almost arbitrarily. You know, they needed to be in the top 10% of their year group in that school, in that cohort, to then go on for advanced work. In in the States, it's worse. They put billions of dollars into talent programs where they select at three years old. And by the way, when you're selected, you can't be deselected. You're, it's huge craziness. Yeah, I mean, it is absolute bonkers. So what happens is we know there, there are some things and there's there are going to be some levels of innateness and there is research and now there's some quite good genetic research to say that we will turn up in our early years that we will have more dexterity or more language fluidity or more skills in this area or in that area but that's not where the story stops you know it is then what happens with the input, what happens with the environment, what happens when our interest is grown, what happens if we offer a deliberate practice. You know, I'm a cricket fan, and one of the great heroes of cricket is Don Bradman. Now, Don Bradman, he was not, he's talked about as the most talented cricketer ever, a genius cricketer. What he used to do is he used to practice all day, every day, in his little outback home, and he didn't use a full-size cricket bat and a full-size cricket ball and a flat wall to bat against. He used a golf ball and a cricket stump and a curved wall, which would meant that the ball would come back at random angles that he couldn't predict. So his talent, I put in inverted commas, was developed by thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of practice under deliberate circumstances. So of course he was talented. But it's not natural talent. It's learned talent. It's skill. So I agree. The big risk here in talking to your, your HRBPs and people who, who organize talent management, the huge risk here is that we start saying two things, I think. Firstly, because people are not showing currently 
skills in certain areas that we like to define and that we like to lord, like, for example, uh, confidence and extrovert tendencies and meeting deadlines and those type of things, then they are the only ones who make the programs. Then we start taking a whole group of people who could be nurtured and encouraged to go quicker, to go faster, to do better, and we lose out on them. So I think this idea of we're just trying to focus and develop on a talented few for the fast track, I think it's it's a really big area. Wouldn't you want everyone in your organization to be really skilled? Wouldn't you want them all to offer an equal amount of talent and support? And I think that elitism, fast track thing, I think it's a risk. Jacobson and Rosenthal, 1969. Yeah. That was the original experiment that proved that if you labelled kids as talent or not talent, you would have an IQ difference at the end of the year of 10 points. And it was completely random. And that experiment was done 51 years ago. People seem wed. They're tightly wed to this idea that some people are more talented than others. And it seems to be an innate thing in, for humans and society to think, well, these, some people are better than others, yeah. you know, and it's an incredibly pernicious thing that we've, that we've got to be aware of. But sorry, I, I don't want to get on my, my <laughs> horse about that. No, no, I, no, completely, no, no, but it's a really good one, Gregor. I mean, I, I look at things like that fact that until I started doing this work, I didn't realize that the IQ test was something that was not designed to measure innate intelligence. You know, is it was, it was designed by a Frenchman, Alfred Binet, um, as a way of helping teachers assess the current skill level of their students in poor banlieue of Paris to then adjust their teaching. That's what it was designed for. It was designed as a, you know, a, a simple assessment process and it's gotten taken over and worldwide it is seen as, as a way of measuring fixed intelligence. You know, and we have Mensa and we have army tests and we have psychometric profiles and all that type of stuff that links so strongly to this idea that intelligence is fixed. And, you know, all I'm hoping and all I'm seeing a bit of is that with some of the brain imaging and stuff, people are seeing actually these things shift and these things grow and change. So I think I think it is changing. People are getting the idea behind the brain plasticity. But getting back to coaching, is there anything that coaches might do, maybe by accident, to reinforce a fixed mindset? Well, I, th I think there's a few things. The, the, the example that I gave before, I think this, it's a bit unfair because it is advanced coaching, isn't it? To be able to challenge a belief rather than get hooked into better belief. But I think that is one thing. If we focus on encouraging our coaches to go and do things that reinforce a fixed mindset, I go and look for strokes, go and look for feedback, go and complain to someone when they're getting critical feedback, all that type of stuff. So I think that's a really strong area that we need to be very concerned about. I think not listening for mindset work, I think that's, there's a risk in there if we miss these things. If someone says things like, I, I quite often hear people say, well, you know, that, but that's who I am, but, but that's how it is, you know. So if we miss the opportunity to ask this fundamental question, do you believe you can change? then that doesn't necessarily do damage, but it misses an opportunity. So I think those things are really strong. The things where I think we can quite quickly shift someone's mindset in an unhelpful way is when we start rescuing them, when we start offering approval, when we start telling them that they're brilliant um, or wonderful. You know, that, those difficult moments, I think, at the beginning of a coaching session when they come back and say, well, guess what, Gregor? You know, I said I was going to do that thing. Well, I did it. 
And Gregor, you say, wow, God, you're amazing. You're genius. Brilliant. Awesome. I can't imagine you saying any of those things, right? <laughs> but, um, in an, or in a parallel universe, possibly. Um, rather than saying, okay, I don't want to, I don't want to be offering approval and I don't want to be labeling. We're giving you fixed mindset praise. So I won't do that. I think that's where we can encourage a fixed mindset. And same at the end of the session when we say, God, you've done really well today. You know, you've really shown that you're so, so in touch with whatever, whatever. You know, we, we over-egg our acknowledgement and our appreciation of our coaches. So I, th- I see those are areas that we could, we as this, almost become a parent figure and encourage some fixed mindset thinking. The thing that keeps on coming to mind for me is, and you may remember what he called it, but Martin Seligman in uh, his book Flourish, mm. uh, he talks about how you should give feedback. And I know Carl Dweck's got some views in here, and I think it would be good to talk about how you give feedback, you know, because I think that skill, uh, you know, with leaders. But there's an example in Seligman's book, and he's basically saying rather than giving any sort of praise, you should be asking a question, and it should be, oh, that's really interesting. You clearly did well there. What was it that you put effort into that made the difference? I, you know, I, I tell this story when I do mindset talks for parents. We talk quite a lot about praise. Praise is, praise is a huge thing for parents and it's a huge thing in schools as well. And the idea that actually we give praise to reinforce self-esteem, beliefs of confidence, all that type of stuff. Basically, it was a reaction to that big early 1990s self-esteem movement. It doesn't work. And it actually has completely the opposite effect because and every child knows this, when you start giving elaborate praise to another child in the class, you're sending a message to say, you need this. You know, you can't do this without praise. You're fragile. We're shoring up your your limited skills. So we need to really avoid that. Um, we've been working for the last seven or eight years in schools, encouraging to give genuine effort-based praise. If there's effort noticed, you give some praise on it. If there isn't effort, then you ask them what they could do differently. And I completely agree. I mean, as a parent, I ever since my um, my youngest daughter started drawing, she does lots and lots of lovely drawings. And I and I never praise her. I never say, well done, darling, that's wonderful. Or I just put on my nicest fixed smile and I might say one one slightly cheesy word, wow. And then I say, tell me about this picture. And she just talks. She just talks and talks and talks and draws and draws and draws. So we don't have this belief that we are the arbiter of offering the and bestowing great praise from on high. It's, it's really erroneous. Yeah, I don't think it's feedback. I think it's encouraging reflection. I, I think of it much more as um, metacognition, encouraging them to talk about themselves. Oh, I, I'm going to forget where this quote comes from now. The success of an intervention depends on the internal state of the intervener. But I think what that's basically saying is if you, in some way, by giving praise, that's feeding your ego Mm. because then you become important because you're the praise giver. Yes. If you are not giving praise and being curious and helping the other person, that's much more ego-less. And I think that's the work that coaches have got to do. Yeah, I agree. And and if a coaching... You know, a coaching environment has to be a really good opportunity for doing this, doesn't it? Because people are vulnerable. People may be looking for approval from from us as their coach, but they're also more than probably any other conversation being able to prepare to say what they don't like. So 
they're more likely to say, do you know what, I feel rubbish because everyone else is doing better than me or that my boss doesn't say nice things to me. All those type of things that are almost like socially unacceptable to say out loud. So mm-hmm. I think you're right. We've got a really, really good opportunity and, and a responsibility to say, okay, how can we help steer you away from this type of unhelpful thinking and this unhelpful dependency on on praise or on um, not being able to fail and those things? So um, looking at the time, we, we tend to keep these uh, podcasts relatively short, and but we like to end with just one or two tips. I mean, what, what would your one or two top tips would be in regard to using mindset? Okay, so well, let's, let's go three tips. So one tip for coaches would be to listen. Uh, the, f- the first thing I would do is get an audio recording of a coaching session you've done and listen for mindset clues. Go through your transcript or go through the audio and hear and notice when you heard it okay, and notice when you didn't hear it. And that will be the start of your journey of learning to be listening for mindsets. It's a lot easier to listen to it, as you know, in your recording than in the live session. So that would be my absolute first thing to do. My top tip for your audience of HR people would be to really review how you nurture people's potential and how you use the language, the language of talent, the language of potential and equal opportunity. We, we have this mantra in mindset schools, which says uh, every student is entitled to advanced learning opportunities, which means don't dump them in bottom set, right? Well, look in your, look in your organization and to see, are you dumping your colleagues and your team members in the equivalent of bottom set? And if so, can you do something about it? And my top tip for everyone as human beings is to work on your mindset. And Carol's top tip, so if we share that, her top tip is to name the chimp. So name that voice, name that limiting belief, that inner critic. Give it a name, right? Call it something. And then when it turns up and says, I'm not good enough, say, oh, there you are. There you are. I knew you'd turn up. Carol says, She calls her inner voice Dwayne. No idea why. She calls it Dwayne. I call my Nana Betty. And if you'd have met my Nana Betty, you'd know why. So that would be my top tip for everyone to start working on their mindset and just dampen down the voice of that inner, I can't do it. So Charlie, is there anything you would like to uh, plug or tell anybody about for your own business? Thank you. Oh, that's really kind of you. So my, my main work is training people to be coaches. That That's my big thing. I, w- I work a lot in education and most of my clients are school leaders and head teachers. And so training, coaching people is wonderful, but training people to be coaches, I think that's really the thing that sparks joy for me. So I run open programs, training people to be coaches, and really I only do qualification programs. So training them to be Institute of Leadership and Management Level 7 programs and or taking coaches and helping them get their International Coach Federation qualifications, doing one-to-one work for them. So I have lots of programs like that. I run open courses so individuals can book into them, which is wonderful. And we're, we're seeing with the pandemic more and more people booking in and choosing the career change coming towards coaching. But also we run an in-company program. Very happy to talk to anyone about running in-company programs for you. Coach training all the way. Right, we'll put um, we'll put the details in the show notes so people can get in contact with you. So yeah, we'll have your email details and uh, your website so uh, people Brilliant. can get in contact uh, with you for that. Thanks, Charlie. It's been great speaking to you. Oh, it's a real pleasure, and it's, and it's a real delight, Gregor. That what you know about mindsets and you're really bringing it in. It shows not only you've done your research, but also you're embodying and embedding this as well. So it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. 
So thanks for taking the time to listen to the show. We really appreciate any feedback. And as always, send us any questions you have to info at thecoachingquestion.com. Please do give us a rating on iTunes. It makes a huge difference to how we can spread the word to a wider audience. We really hope you enjoyed the show. 